Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. My name is Axel Villasenor. You are about to listen to a podcast with Kevin Tips, one of the pastors in the house, and Truman Spring, one of the elders in the house. And we get to sit down together uh, just at a table and talk about the role of each generation and what they have to bring to the table, but also just how we're supposed to work in unity um, it was such an honor just to be able to sit at the table with each generation and realize that the gospel is for all the generations. So, hope you enjoy it, guys. Um, hello, how are we? Good? Good. Hey, uh, I want to give you a hearty big hello from Michael and Lo. Uh, they are um, about to enter the last month of their sabbatical. Uh, it's been amazing and well-earned and well-deserved. They're in Colorado, um, just enjoying the last fruits of their time of rest and recouping. Uh, I just felt prompted to do something uh, for them. Could we kind of gather up in threes or fours and just pray a blessing over them in their last month off, just that they would have ample complete rest, but also just that in the, the last four weeks of their sabbatical, that the Spirit of God would be so near in, um, in his direction, in his leadership, in his vision for the next season of our house. So if you'd grab some folks around you and just pray a blessing over Michael, Larissa, and their kids, and then I'll, I'll convene us back in a minute. Let's do some leverage in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the gift of Michael and Larissa Miller. We thank you for how you've made them, designed them, how you've used them to bring you glory, to birth this place. Father, we've all received so much from their lives, and we ask you, Father, in the last little bit of their rest and sabbatical, Lord, that you would draw near that your presence would be amplified and multiplied in their midst, Lord, that you would draw near in dreams, in visions, in visitations, that you would give them keys to the next season, that you would speak so clearly that there would be a unity among them, or that you'd bless their family. Just let it be lots of fun this last month. Stretch out the time for them so that it just feels even longer, Lord. We bless them and we thank you for the honor of being led by them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks on their behalf. Thank you. Hey, so tonight's going to look a little different. Uh, as you can tell, there's some more chairs up. And I want to frame a conversation that we're going to have. Um, <clears throat> but before I do that, kind of recapping where we've been 
over the last, I don't know, five months or so, um, just by the Spirit, not by clever planning or strategy, there's been this thread that the Spirit of God has woven through multiple voices, unbeknownst, where he's emphasizing things like our identity in the gospel, the fact that the gospel gives us permission to find communion with the Father and communion with one another, that we're to live lifestyles of radical hospitality, forgiveness, grace, togetherness, connectedness. And what I think is happening is that in the Father's delight over how we've built and what we've prioritized, which is ministry to his son, (laughs) that in his joy, in watching us labor with him to build a resting place. It's almost like he's leading us not away from that priority. Never. May it never be. May that always be our priority in gathering is him and him first. But from that place, I feel that he's expanding our territory beyond first commandment and into second commandment. That he's actually inviting us to mature and grow up in expressing love to one another because that too, according to the scriptures, is ministry to him. That when we give a cold cup of water or some clothes to the naked or feed the hungry or visit someone who's in prison and oppressed, we're doing that to him. That is ministry to him as well. And so there's been all these kind of ideas thrown out. Um, Last week, we heard from the shucks talking about radical forgiveness and what it looks like to walk in radical forgiveness with one another. We've heard about hospitality. We've heard about small groups and adoption and um, the gospel forming our um, identities and connectedness around the table and all these things that are wonderful. And yet, I've come back today to this idea that all of that is not an independent, isolated work. It is a completely corporate work that the family of faith is multi-generational. It is young and old alike, that we all not only are facing our own unique landscape of trials and temptations, but we are positioned, no matter where you find yourself in the body, how long you've walked with Jesus, what demographic you're a part of, that there is something for you to contribute. There is a grace in your season that the rest of us get to glean from. And that as we focus in on these themes, it's important to know that we're a family of faith. And I want to talk about that um, this evening as we emphasize the second commandment. It's funny that um, actually as I was feeling stirred to kind of do what we're going to do tonight, which is kind of have a father, a young man, and a youth-ish representative of youth um, share in a conversation about what it looks like to go after Jesus together. Um, That I had forgotten completely that one voice was doing the announcement for the Gen Z event. And so it's a perfect segue um, because we are, um, we're in this together. The Christian life is inescapably corporate. There's an American culture thing that emphasizes isolation. It emphasizes the personal Jesus Which, is Jesus personal? Heck yeah, he knows every hair in your head as they're falling out right now. He knows everything about you, every thought that's going through your mind, what you want to eat for dinner later. He knows everything. He knows you intimately, perfectly, and personally. But the Christian life is corporate. We do it 
together. Why? Because it is far too glorious and at times far too challenging to do it alone. Um, I am thinking about tonight, um, a scripture came to mind out of Malachi. And I love the book of Malachi. I taught on it, gosh, I don't know, like a year or two ago. Uh, I just had this prophetic word out of a time of intercession for our house out of the book of Malachi, went through the whole book. And at the end of Malachi, there's this random prophetic declaration that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, will be great and terrible, um, that he will send the spirit of Elijah who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And what that tells me is that one of the primary, not exclusively only, but one of the primary ministries of the spirit of God in the last of the last days will be a supernatural restoration and creation of family. That there's gonna be a cross-generational connection that happens in the body of Christ that transcends any strategy, any kind of initiative. It is gonna be birthed by the Spirit and it's actually going to empower the church to step into a grace of family that actually trumps and transcends biology and the nuclear family. If you don't necessarily believe what I'm saying, the enemy would not be going so hard after confusing us and attempting to dismantle family if it was not so absolutely important. But Jesus said, when he was asked, what about your mom and brothers? And he said, who, are my, who is my mother? And who are my brothers but the one who does the will of God? And I want to tell you, this may be scandalous <laughs> to some of you, <clears throat> nuclear family is vitally important. There's, it's an authority on the earth. It is a, a, a governmental structure from heaven. We know God as father. Family is eternal, but our biological families, my wife will not be my wife in the age to come. And my son will not be my son in the age to come. And yet there's a eternal family that we are in Christ that trumps, transcends all of it. And so I feel like we're gonna step into the season as the days get darker and it's gonna be, it's gonna be a beacon of light and it's gonna draw many, many, many hungry men and women to Jesus. You know, <clears throat> we were singing this morning about Jesus, our high priest. And Jesus as high priest is one of my favorite, favorite revelations of who he is. And <clears throat> as high priest, he's doing a number of things, but primarily he's our intercessor, praying that our faith wouldn't fail, praying for strength in our weakness, praying to the Father on our behalf that we would be more than overcomers and partakers in the fullness of what's been purchased for us by his life, death, and resurrection. And as intercessor, he is praying a prayer that I think began in, on earth. I, I still think he's praying John 17. I still think that he's praying today for you and for me to see his glory, to be with him where he is, and to be one with him and one with one another. Um, this is the prayer of Jesus and the uh, prayers of Jesus uh, uh, get answered. Um, Psalm 145 talks about one generation proclaiming the works of the Lord to the other generation, to the next generation. And why is that important? Because there's meant to be this 
antiphonal song between generations of, I just saw the Lord, someone that just encountered Jesus, doughy-eyed, starstruck, dumbfounded, full of ignition, flame, fury, excitement, because they were dead and now they're alive. And they get to testify that they were in a grave and that Jesus brought them, brought them out of it. And in looking at that, they get to look at the older generation and say, look what he's done for me. And the older generation, which may have seen a lot, been around a lot, knows a lot, is shaken awake in that moment to the possibilities that God is still doing things and they're confronted with maybe some jaded pessimism or apathy. They're shaken awake at the glorious of resurrection in the life of someone young. And that same person who's young, when they get the honeymoon stage that kind of fizzles and fades, And all of a sudden, the Jesus that was so visceral before them now seems a thousand miles away because they're being instructed to walk in faith and not by sight, but they don't know what's going on, can look to a future or older generation who looks back at them and says, he will not fail you. He has not left you. I have walked in this desert a thousand times over again, and he has always remained faithful. Keep enduring. Keep it up. Don't let that flame just burn bright. Let it burn steady. And one generation looks to the the next and Christ is formed and fullness is experienced and family is something real. You know, um, I'm going to get real. (laughs) I like being real. There's no other way to be really. Um, I've been here now for a long time. I've been here over a decade or right out of decade, something like that. And I have had the privilege of encountering Jesus in wacky ways. Let me tell you, I'm as mystical as they get. I love encountering Jesus. I've had some really weird encounters that you would struggle to believe if I told you, but I'm not going to. I love encountering Jesus. I really do. Um, And I've watched many, many others in this room and in rooms in previous buildings encounter Jesus. Real encounters, not manufactured hype, not emotionalism, divine God touching human flesh. I've watched it with my eyes. And yet at times I've seen some people who have had the most visceral encounters with Jesus, real stuff, who are no longer walking with him. And I would propose to you that a large part of that is because they had their encounter and they ran off alone. And I don't think we're meant to do this thing alone. Um, I used to think in my fervency and in my immaturity that encountering God was the goal. Uh, I don't think encountering God is the goal. The goal is to abide in God, right? What happens when we encounter the Lord is that the veil's removed and we see what's up. We see what's real. We see him as he really is. We see us as we really are. And we see our circumstances in correct proportion to who he is and who we are. We just see clear. A whole new landscape is unveiled before our eyes where we see the potential and the possibility of what he wants to do in and through us and for us, which is glorious. But the encounter is not the mountaintop, it's the base camp. It's simply the place where the grace is released And the tools are released that equip you to begin to sojourn, 
to ascend the hill so that that momentary encounter actually through a journey and process becomes a territory that is claimed and occupied for a lifetime. He does not want us to go from moment to moment. He wants us to abide. And I think that at times, if we just encounter and run alone, we fall and we stumble and our booty just rolls down that mountain. (laughs) And he's gracious and he gives us another encounter and another try, which is awesome. But that journey is meant to take together. And all the encounters that I've had, and they've been glorious, and I love it. I love it. So much of the formation of Christ in me, his character, his nature, understanding his ways and how he operates, submitting to his values, learning to be obedient when I don't want to be, (laughs) all of these things, the real stuff, you know, not the cheap stuff, the real stuff was formed over chips and dip and dinners at Phil and Melissa Smith's house. It was sitting while they're parrot squawking and I'm talking about something and we're getting ready for a garage sale or a move or whatever is happening. Christ was formed in me through family. I received a lot through impartation and through encounter. But I want to tell you what has matured me the most has been family. And that's the goal for all of us. First John chapter 2. That's what we'll be if you open your Bibles or pull out your phones. I normally preach from the ESV, but today I'm going to do the, um, the Passion Translation because I like it better for this one. First John chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1 because uh, over the last few weeks, Joshua David talked to us about um, Jesus, our strength and weakness, um, the fact that we're unpunishable in him, that we're to be confident and bold in him because of the work of Jesus. And then for two weeks, we camped out there, which was awesome, um, submitting to what he says, not what we think or what we feel, but submitting to what he thinks and what he feels. So good, easier said than done, but good still. Uh, And then last week, we had the shucks who talked about forgiveness of um, if we wanna live in the life Light, if we want to be children of light and actually um, validate the fact that we're intimate with God, um, we do that by not holding grudges with one another, but actually loving our brothers and sisters. Um, and then immediately after those two things, which we've been in for the last few weeks, he goes into this odd little discourse where he writes to three generations within the church there, children, young men and women, and fathers, and mothers. And after this little exhortation, it's broken up into um, a section of reminders where he's reminding each generation of where the grace is for their season. And then he's exhorting them to fully apprehend and own that grace in their season. But then he immediately goes into an admonition to abstain from loving the world. And he breaks three temptations down that I feel like the Spirit of God illuminated to me are connected to the unique landscape of each generation as well. So you have a reminder, you have an encouragement or an exhortation, and then you have a peak of, hey, and this is the temptation that's going to come after you based on the season that you're in to try to thwart the very thing that you're supposed to have authority in and over. And so we're going to read it together. Cool? Let's go. 1 John 2, chapter, well, chapter 2, verse 1. So he says, You are my dear children, 
And I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. If you can hear my voice, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Let that sink in. You're forgiven, man. You're clean. Spotless. Regardless of what just happened, what's going on in your brain, what you're remembering from last night or two weekends ago, the gospel makes you clean. Here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God if we keep his commands. If someone claims, I have come to know God by experience yet does not keep God's commands, he's a phony. (laughs) And the truth has no place in him. (laughs) But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God not just by saying it, not just by saying I'm intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. (laughs) Beloved, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one that you've had from the beginning. And you've already heard it, yet in a sense it is a new commandment, as it's the truth that's made manifest both in Christ and in you. Because the darkness is disappearing. I don't care how much it looks like it's growing, according to the scripture, it's fading quick. (laughs) And the true light is already blazing. (laughs) In us, in us, it's blazing. Anyone who says, I am in the light, while holding hatred in his heart toward a brother is still in darkness. But the one who truly loves a brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him that will cause one to stumble. But whoever hates a brother lives in darkness, stumbling around in the dark with no clue where he is or where he's going, for he's been blinded by the darkness. I'm gonna pause there for a second. I just, I wanna um, remind you um, that the visceral spirituality of encountering Jesus does not validate our spiritual maturity. It only testifies to his kindness. But I want to tell you, no matter how spiritual someone seems, how gifted they are, how much they seem to have these crazy encounters with Jesus and trips to heaven and crazy revelations and whatever, none of that really matters. If they're not walking in the light and embracing faith expressing itself through love. If someone is going on and on and on about their stuff and their encounters and their things and they're shaking and baking and kurababa satyada, and yet you don't see patience, kindness, not just here, but to the server at the restaurant when you're in a fight with them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Let's get real. When someone cuts them off in traffic. If love is not manifest as love is defined by the scripture, then there's reason to question maturity. And I want to tell you, especially young people, find mature men and women 
to follow and to model your life after. The degree of encounter doesn't validate spiritual maturity. It just testifies to how kind God is. Love testifies to spiritual maturity. Cool? Okie doke. So then he goes into writing to these three categories. Now, so we have, you know, Gen Z, millennial, Gen X, baby boomers. Um, Biblical genealogy doesn't fit into our cute little, like, you know, generation names. But biblically, and Michael's taught in this before, it's been a long time, so it's probably new to a lot of us. But biblical generation, he pulls out of Numbers, the book of Numbers, which, man, if the fact that there's revelation in the book of Numbers proves that God exists, right? If you guys have ever read Numbers, you're like, what is this doing in here? Um, but he got this incredible revelation through the book of Numbers um, about the landscape of maturing in Jesus based on the season of life we're in. And uh, in biblical world, if you're under the age of 30, then you are, um, in this instance, would fall in the child category. That's not demeaning. You're great. I love you. You're awesome. Love your style. Hooray. But biblically, you're, you're a child. And, um, and in Israel's worldview, um, you were the ones that went off to war. That kind of makes sense because your 20s are a bloodbath, right? I would not want to go back into my 20s to save my life. It was great while it happened. Do not want to go back there at all. If you're in your 20s, God help you. I know it's tough. It's tough because you are figuring out not only who you are, but who you want to identify with. There's an all-out battle for your understanding of who God is, who you are, and what your life is to be about. It is a bloodbath. But your job in your 20s is to learn to war well. So in that case, when I read little children, if you're under 30, I'm talking to you. 30 to 50, in the book of Numbers, the generational paradigm, uh, was responsible for carrying the tent. They were the ones that picked up the tent pegs and carried the stuff. And it's a season, a prolonged season of a lot of weird conflictions. You're experiencing a lot of newness. You're getting established, but things are constantly changing. You're in transition. You're facing significant losses for the first time, but you're also stepping into significant advancements as you grow in your career and calling. It is both a time of establishment, but also a time of transition. So you're carrying the tent from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. And then, so if um, I'm talking about young men and women, if you're between the age of 30 and 50, (laughs) I know the 50s are, (laughs) 50 year olds are like, yes, I'm young. Um, I'm talking to you. Uh, now, fathers and mothers are 50 plus, and in the generational paradigm and numbers, their job was to cease from carrying the tent so that they could fully apply the wisdom and strength of their history with God to the generations under them so that those at war can war well and those that are carrying burdens can carry them well. And so um, let's move on to remember, he reminds them of something. He encourages them or exhorts them, and then he's going to admonish them. I remind you, dear children, 30 and under, I remind you that your sins (laughs) have been permanently removed because of the power of his name. (laughs) That's such good news. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
I remind you, fathers and mothers, you have a relationship today. You have a relationship right now, father and mothers, with the one who has existed from the beginning. I remind you, young people, 30 to 50, you have defeated the evil one. Then he exhorts them. I write these things to you, dear children, because you have a relationship with the Father. I write these things, Father and mothers, because you have had a true relationship with him who is from the beginning. And I write these things, young people, because you are strong. The word of God is treasured in your hearts, and you have defeated the evil one. Now he goes into a warning. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of this world. For the love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. Oil and water, baby. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of this world, and the obsession with status and importance, none, none, zilch, of these things come from the Father, but they come from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God will live forever. So immediately after affirming, hey, listen, regardless of where you find yourself on this journey in the family of faith, there is an area of grace for growth for you that is also the very seedbed of contribution that you have to give the other generations. But let me warn you that these three things are gonna come after you. And I felt as I, I sat on this scripture that the three temptations are actually tied to the generations themselves, that fathers and mothers, your strength is in your history with God that you through generate or decade after decade of following Jesus have been tempered by his spirit. <laughs> You've been conformed to his image. You've known God in and out of season. You've seen his faithfulness and there's wisdom because of it. You know the ways of God. You're beginning to understand how he works and what he values. And that is a gift to the younger generations that are kind of bumbling and still trying to find their way. But the temptation for fathers and mothers is the allurement of things. That as a father and mother reaches that age, society begins to tell you, get your house in Florida, pull out your retirement, start traveling and having a good time, actually isolate, disconnect, and coast because you've worked real hard and now you deserve a break. But that temptation of the American dream and the white picket fence and the vacation house in Florida, not that anything's wrong with that, but owning it at least, but the allurement of it will actually rob you from the full weight of your life and season to invest wholeheartedly in a generation that's coming up behind you that needs to know God as you've seen him, that needs you to testify and demonstrate what the goodness of God looks like through hospitality, through pursual, through love, through correction, through encouragement. We need you more than your vacation house in Tahoe. We need you. But your temptation is to check out and for the last few decades of your life to coast in comfort or to believe the lie that your best days were back then. 
The third, children. Your grace is being rooted and established in the gospel. It is knowing your identity as beloved, forgiven children. Your grace in this season is to pull on the full expectation of heaven to know God as Father, to know him as your provider, your leader, your comforter, your all in all, the source of pleasure, that knowing him is pleasures forevermore, that he's not cruel, mean, and demanding. He's generous, kind, and overflowing with goodness. But the temptation, the temptation is in worldly pleasure. It's to gratify the flesh. It's to forfeit your right as sons and daughters to live in the fullness of being forgiven and free and to sell out with temporary pleasures. Porn, alcohol addiction, marijuana, social media addiction, chronic dating, bumble, 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 bumble. (laughs) Somebody love me, somebody make me feel good, something, do something that I can sell my life out to that's gonna make me feel good in a minute but actually is devouring my soul. See, your gift, your gift to the other generations that have walked a little bit ahead of you is your fresh-eyed wonder at how good God is. We need to see you in awe. We need to see your eyes shining as you hear his voice for the first time, as you encounter his presence for the first time, as you find in him the satisfaction for your souls and you begin to experience that his victory is your own and you start overcoming and you're just like, oh my God, this is real. We need that. We need you to be doughy-eyed and in wonder. We need your newness and excitement. We need it. But if you sell out, to what is cheap and easy, we miss out. Do you see? It's not just for your soul. It's for the whole body. The whole family suffers if you are suffering. But I want to tell you, all of life and the, every little critter in hell is bent on trying to convince you or confuse you that either you can have your cake and eat it too, which you can't. Can't do that. You cannot do that. That's going to go real bad for you. Or to loop you in before you've even gotten a chance to fully get established, to stuff out the seed of life that's been planted in you. Little decisions, little gratifications, little compromises are building a future for you. And I don't say that as a weight to put on you. I say it as a sober warning that right now you're very aware of what's happening today and you're filled with questions of what your tomorrow holds. But in that, you are making decisions that are influencing you and generations that will flow from you for a lifetime. I can't tell you how proud I am that I can confidently look my son in the face. I've had a lot of sexual brokenness, done a lot of weird, gross stuff in that department. But I can look at my son confidently one day and say, your mommy and me were pure until we got married. It is possible. It is possible. And that is your inheritance. At the time, would it have been easy? Yeah, it would have been easy. It would have been real easy. Would it have been fun? Yeah, it would have been fun. But I would, it would have robbed me of that legacy. Find your pleasure in him. I tell you, it's not lip service. He is able to satisfy Religion tells you, (laughs) 
religion tells you that this is all about trying to get God to be cool with you and, you know, bend yourself into being approved of. And the Christian life is about pleasure, 100%. It is about pleasure, eternal pleasure. <laughs> yes, it is. It's about pleasure. The kind that doesn't leave you sticky and gross the next day or hungover. Young adult, 30 to 50. The grace is in... Um, the grace is in the beginnings of the story of faith that is yours to tell. It is charting your victories, not only because the victories are important, but as we grow from victory to victory, overcoming to overcoming, more than the victory itself, we begin to understand the ways of God through battle. We start understanding how he operates, how we cooperate, how we yield and surrender our lives, how we walk in the weight of authority that he's given us, how to own the territory that he's entrusted to us, how to utilize our time, resources, and talents. We're understanding more deeply through our experience, both personally, but as we're cultivating cultures at work and at home with family. It's why the word of God is to be treasured in our hearts because we need constant reminders as we're wiping up poopy diapers and you know, confronting someone at work or being confronted by someone at work or you know, having to figure out how to do bills and budgets and spreadsheets and all this stuff that's just real life stuff that God's in the midst of. That the word of God is imperative to remind us of what's truly valuable and what the kingdom of God really does look like. Why? Because the temptation is to become obsessed with status and importance, to become obsessed with keeping up with that person or climbing that social ladder or achieving that position or paycheck at work. Comparison is the great thief of young people, 30 to 50. It will rob you of the joy of standing in your design as God made you, expressing the full weight of your life the way that he made you to because we're too obsessed with how someone else is doing it. And we think we need to become that. That is the temptation. If you are 30 to 50, the word of God, gosh, I don't even know. It's a necessity to see rightly, to remember rightly that, ah, the greatest isn't the one who makes the most or has the best title. The greatest is the one who serves. When I look at these three categories, the battle for fathers and mothers is a battle for importance. Do I still matter? Do I still have something to contribute? Is my voice even heard? All these young people are so, I guess it's just about Gen Z now. You know? The battle for children is a battle over identity. Not only who you are, but who you identify with. And the battle for young adults, 30 to 50, it's a battle of character. Who are you becoming? Who are you reflecting? And who are you beginning to bring beneath you and say, follow me as I follow Christ? So for the last little bit, um, I wanna invite two people up and um, a father and a representative of the children. Um, and uh, we wanna have a conversation. I know this room is predominantly, if you are under 30, raise your hand. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hello, all right. Um, if you're 30 to 50, raise your hand. Woo-hoo! What's up, my peeps? 
if, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> if you are 50 and over, raise your hand. Praise God. We love you. We honor you. Um, would you stand as we welcome Truman Spring and Excel Via Senor? If you can't tell, Truman is a father in the house. He's uh, one of our chief elders, um, a father to all of us. Um, uh, Excel is our youth pastor, and though he's a millennial, uh, knows Gen Z very, very well and the younger generation. Um, and so we just want to have a conversation about this scripture. And um, the goal is that regardless of where you find yourself today in your journey, that something about this conversation helps you understand how to participate and co-labor with God to walk in fullness, and also that you walk away with a greater awareness, not just of your contribution, but of the landmines that are planted for you so that hopefully you avoid them and uh, don't make some of the mistakes that maybe some of us have made. Um, And so one thing I was talking with Um, Truman about, well, actually both of them, that I noticed that I thought was really interesting. In the scripture, when there's a reminder and then an exhortation, it's interesting because for fathers and mothers, the reminder is present tense. You have a relationship with the one who is from the beginning. The reminder for young men and women and children is you have had, or this has been done. Your sins have been forgiven. You have defeated the evil one. So there's this reminder and exhortation in what's been done on our behalf in the work of Christ. But for fathers and mothers, the reminder is what they have right now. But then when the exhortation comes, it flip-flops. The exhortation for young men and women and children is to step into what We have now to activate it now. But the exhortation for fathers and mothers is to remember their history, that you have walked with God. And that stood out to me as interesting. But the more I thought about that, it's because of the unique battlefield of the older generation, which is you need to be reminded that you have relationship with God today, which means the story's not done. There's more for you and we need what you got. And so Truman how, how does history with God, what benefit is that, not just for you as a father, but for us, how does that empower your leadership, your counsel? Why is it important? First of all, it's kind of a tangent, I want to say, I have never heard such wisdom as we've heard tonight. <laughs> now, he either... He either is older and in the fathers and mothers group and he's fooling us. <laughs> but a good way to say it is Don't a talk. wisdom beyond his years. And I really appreciate In fact, I leaned over to Excel and said, I'm going home. He's already, oh my gosh. he's preached the whole thing. Not that I resent that, but he's, <laughs> you said it so well. Okay, back to the topic. <clears throat> um, history. I'm going to do it where we look back, fathers and mothers, and then when yeah. we talk about present tense. You look back as fathers and mothers well, first of all, yes. uh, let me show a slide right here. Um, now, uh, <laughs> I love it. Many of you tell my wife Jane hadn't changed much. That guy there is not her first husband. It really is me. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, 
I was young and now I'm old and it was a hot minute. I'm telling you <laughs> right now. Uh, looking back, fathers and mothers here have a history of God's faithfulness that we can bless you with as younger people. We've seen him faithful year in and year out. We've sought his will many times. Many times we missed, but other times we didn't. And so we learned about seeking God's will and making choices. And so one of the things our history can do is bless you. Don't hesitate to ask about what's happened in our lives, good or bad, because it's there to bless you. I think the, the present tense exhortation to fathers and mothers to, think, to remember that you have a relationship right now with God is, and I'm going to preach just a minute here, is that you older ones, like me, you can't retire, yes. okay? You can't stop being the powerful person God has made you. Now, I'm, uh, I have a, a cabin out in East Texas. I won't name the specific community because this is on the Internet after all. And I, don't <laughs> want, I want those people to still like me. But there's about 3,000 people out there, probably 80% of them around my age, and they have bought, a lot of them, have bought the American dream. That is, I worked hard and I'm gonna coast. I'm gonna play Mahjong, and I'm gonna play bridge, I'm gonna play golf, I'm gonna repave the driveway, you know, whatever. And that's, that's just the lie of this culture to us. It's at an age where we have our most wisdom, our most financial resources, our most experience, and it's not to be kept, it's to be shared. Yes. So I think that's why he says, you have a relationship with God. You know, there's more, there's a lot more for you. Amen. I've heard, I've heard Truman say many times um, <clears throat> that he gets to extend wisdom here, and Lord knows we need it. Uh, we're a young house, but in turn, he gets fire. And uh, break that down. Why are both of those okay. things important? Well, uh, that, that comment came uh, when we came to the upper room. We met Michael in 2008 and came upper room in 2010. Uh, our folks at our other church say, okay, now you, you moved downtown from the suburbs. You, you're going to church in Oak Lawn. Really? What's happened to you? <laughs> and I said, well, all I know is besides God's calling that when I'm there, these young men and women say, we need your wisdom. And then I say, okay, give me your fire. <laughs> and that is older people we need. Let me encourage you older people Seek out younger people, you know, the kind he was describing that are just so excited about their life that they can send you, they can burn you, they can re help rekindle that fire that was in you for so long ago. And so that's why we need each other. We don't need to have, uh, you know, group by age. Some churches do that. I think it's a mistake where all the 50 to 60s are all in one group. They're never with anyone else. So just be together, take our wisdom, give us that fire. Yeah. <laughs> So good. <laughs> I am, um, you know, I, I don't want to step on toes, but there, but I'm probably going to, um, you know, uh, being younger, it's a very me centric season. A little, there's a little bit of self awareness, self obsession. <laughs> okay. We've all been there. And so I've, I've both been this guy, uh, but I've also watched many other people be this person of, I want, a, I want a father and mother. I want a spiritual mom and dad. And they get a coffee date or a dinner. 
They're invited to dinner or whatever, and the entire time it's tick, 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 tick. Talk, 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 talk. Me, 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 me. And where fathers and mothers have wisdom to share, younger people have energy to, to share. We have energy. And so part of being the family of faith isn't just tick, 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 but actually positioning ourselves as sons and daughters to serve, to serve fathers and mothers, to not just come over to get their wisdom and perspective and then go home, but to actually serve them, to help pick up toys, to help clean, to help prepare the meal or clean up afterwards. That if you're a young person, I want to encourage you, if you're knocking down and you feel like you've just been crying out for a father and mother, I want to encourage you to make efforts to serve. Can you maybe talk to that a little bit? Uh, Yeah, it's um, one of the best things as a young person you can do with an old person when you are receiving them from them, as, as Kevin says, give back. Ask questions. Mm. Ask questions of us, and we will ask questions of you. I think, mm. actually, well-designed, spirit-led questions are some of the best ministry that we can do to each other. Yeah. For instance, and I, this is a little off your question, but for us older people, with younger people, ask well-thought-out questions to them to find out about their heart and their head. Mm. Ask them, for instance, about their worldview. I mean, there are all kinds, everybody has one, and there's all kinds of worldviews right now that we need to explore with young people, but it is a give and a take situation. You receive, you give. Don't just go, even with the kind of attitude of, of uh, well, you know, I'm really beneath you, and, and you have all this experiences. You know what I'm saying? You can be too, is there a way to be too honoring? I don't know if that's <laughs> if what yeah. I mean, but be there to give, too. You've got stuff to give. Yeah, it's both yeah. ways. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's really good. In, in a family, everyone has a role to play. You know, my son's responsibility is to take his shoes off when he walks in the door and put them away. He does it brilliantly and he's four. So we all have a part to play, both in giving uh, and receiving. Um, Excel, I, you know, I think um, something that I had this realization, we were talking this week, just um, quite honestly, I was carrying a burden for this house of just being aware of compromise that's been happening and um, in certain groups and just really bummed out about it and um, kind of shocked, to be honest with you. And I was talking with Excel about purity and what it looks like to be wholehearted in our pursuit and obedience to Jesus. And I had this aha talking to you of, I turned 40 this year, which is young still. Um, <laughs> but I, yes. Um, but I had this realization that, man, I was born in 82 and... Um, the world that I live in and the world Excel lives in and the world that the students that Excel's leading live in are wildly different. That our world has changed so rapidly that it is a totally different landscape. And so I was asking a lot of questions, but there is obviously an immense amount of confusion, um, despair and heaviness among Gen Z in the world confusion about who they are, what gender they have, you know, um, feeling disconnected, isolated, mental health crisis. Man, it's a lot that this generation is facing. And so for you, why is the goodness of God in the gospel that they're beloved, they're forgiven, and they have access to the Father? How is that the grace and antidote for all the confusion and junk that is swirling around 
younger generation. Yeah, the goodness of God. He's, he, he's the only one who's good. Yeah. He's the only one who's good. You, you were talking about it earlier in your message, but there's just nothing that you can, you can look for that is not God. Outside of the only one who is good, there's, no, there's nothing you can look for or find that's not gonna take something from you. You're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna get confused. You're gonna get something taken from you, whatever idol, whatever pleasure, whatever numbing thing, whatever, I don't know, hobby you, you, or community that's outside of the church, outside of the man who is good. And I guess I'll, I'll go there, but in, in um, Mark 10, the, the, rich, the rich man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, do this, you know. Um, but he also questions, he says, why do you call me good teacher or good master? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And so he's establishing, if you call me good, then you re you're realizing I'm God. And then the, the man, right after he says, after Jesus tells him what he must do, obey all the commandments, the guy says, teacher, he drops the good. Mm. And we know the story, he goes away and he sat because we don't know, he probably didn't follow Jesus or he couldn't, it was too difficult for him. And the thing with our generation is that if we look for just a teacher, if we look for just something to fill us up, if we look for some, just, just another thing to get, we're gonna leave empty and we're gonna go away sorrowful. But if you actually get into the reality and if you receive the revelation of the good teacher, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, if you actually understand who Jesus is, that he is the only goodness on the earth, this is the only thing that will allow you and cause you, draw you in to give your entire life. Wow. Like your entire life, if, you, if you're stuck in, how do I go all in for Jesus? If you're stuck and you know your friends are like, I don't, I don't, I'm halfway, you have, you have halfway tendencies, you're giving yourself an installment, right? And, um, Find the good teacher. Mm. Find the good teacher. And so the goodness of God is, mm. is key, knowing that it's only him. And in a, you know, in a techie generation, I'm like a dinosaur, you know, like I'm like so analog, it's ridiculous. But in a techie generation, there is talking heads everywhere. There's messaging everywhere. Information back and forth all over the place. And so something that you said this morning that I'd love to hear you share again is that children don't need to be told God is good. They need men and women who are incarnating the goodness of God yeah. to demonstrate that goodness to them. Yeah. That that looks a certain way. It looks like hospitality, these things. I'd love to hear you elaborate on that. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the question was, how, is it, how can the older generation yeah. like, show the goodness of God? And, and it's, it's by coming and, and being with us. You were talking about, well, we want, we want some too. You know, you have something to offer too. And if, if we spend time together, if, if the younger generation and the older generation spend time together, then what are we supposed to do? Sometimes it's hard to grab coffee with a youth student as a youth pastor because I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with them but I'm slowly realizing that the life of, of 
an older person, right, who has younger people teaching them is you just, you show them the character of God. Yeah. You show them the character of God, however it is, and you'll, if you spend time with someone, it's going to happen if you have it. If you seek Jesus, if you actually know him and you have given your life to the gospel and know you're set free and you're walking free and you're walking in righteousness by the grace of God and you just spend time together and you both are walking righteously, this is, this is what we want. Yeah. We wanna see that it's possible to be righteous. A young person wants to, to see. That Sometimes it's real. It's, that it's real, it's hard to believe. I actually had never heard it until I came to this house. I'd never heard that you could be free from sin. I'd never heard, no older man, no, no mentor actually told me, hey, did you know you could be free? Mm -hmm. And then I started to look for it and I found it here, it was told to me and now I see it. I see it here. Yeah. So now you're free. Aren't you comforted by the fact that he's leading the next generation? <laughs> Thank Jesus. Um, yeah, embodying the goodness of God. I think for those of us that are in that middle category, um, it can, I think sometimes we get played and miss out on opportunities because our world is, if you're, you know, between 30 and 50 and you have kids and it just gets nuts and schedules are wild and there's just, it's kind of constant chaos. <laughs> um, we can get played sometimes that we just don't have the capacity. You know, it's not the right season. You know, we just have a lot on our plate. And are there seasons to withdraw and kind of focus on certain things? Of course, absolutely. We've got to be led by the Spirit, right? There's no law. Thank goodness. We're led by the Spirit. However, I think sometimes the reason that we feel that way is because we're putting an expectation upon ourselves that's not real that we actually have to provide a certain kind of environment in a certain kind of way, and we have to give certain things in order to accomplish whatever goal, when really being family just looks like being family. I can't tell you how liberated as my wife Bethany and I started to open our doors more and have people over more and dinners. And at first it was a total act of obedience out of conviction. But the more we did it, the more we realized like, we don't have to do anything special. We can, hey, hey, come help. Can you help me do the dishes? I got to put Ellis to bed or come. And what we found was, especially with younger people, that's actually what they crave. They want to sit with us in our home, watching us argue. <laughs> it happens. Watching us love our child and discipline him. Watching us prepare, sitting around a table, eating a meal, just talking about life, but also talking about God, talking about struggles, talking about temptations, enjoying the presence of one another in an environment that's no different than any Tuesday night, except that they're there. Right. You know what I mean? And so I want to release those of us that may be apprehensive about stepping into some of these places. It's as simple as a frozen lasagna and a Tuesday night three-hour time gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. sometimes showing the goodness of God to someone who's young and hurting is an alternative activity on a Friday night that involves free food. <laughs> right? Am I right? If you're hung up and like trying to get sober, you need something else to do on a Friday night other than sit home and be sad. Come over to someone's house, eat a... Eat a Stouffer's lasagna 
and let's talk. Let's play a game. You know, bring out the cards, whatever. It is, it's, it's not all, it is all holy, holy, holy. But it's not, it's simple. It's life. It's family, right? Um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, in all of this, there is so much opportunity, I feel, to step into the experience of family. I want to hit on two things really quick. And if you guys have anything to chime in here, please do. Um, I think, it, Phil, I think it was you that I was talking to about this, but he um, grew up, you know, saw the Jesus People Movement, which was this movement of the spirit uh, in the late 60s, 70s, and um, where all these hippies were encountering Jesus getting saved is amazing. They were repenting, following the Lord, and they were integrated into the church, which had some benefit, right? But the church at the time integrated them into their systems and their programs and the institution, right? And so we didn't get to fully reap what was happening because the institution snuffed out the organism that is the church. And so we've heard this prophetic utterance for a while now that there's a Jesus people movement coming, another Jesus people movement coming, a nameless and faceless Jesus people movement. And it's gonna be highway and byway where a lot of kids that are confused about this, that, and the other, all of a sudden, like the Damascus Road, have a bright light experience with Jesus and they see clearly and they do whatever it takes to follow him. They're still gonna be rough around the edges and confused about a lot, but their heart's gonna be fixed on him and they're gonna want to follow him, but far be it from us if we make the same mistake again and try to domesticate them through our program systems and structures when what they need is not to be integrated into an institution. They need to be integrated into family. And I believe that we're in a divine window of time of preparation. I was, I had a prophetic moment the other day. It's hot outside. It hasn't rained in God knows how long. And I refuse to pay to water my yard because I'm cheap, okay? So my front yard and back is dry. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like it's, it's not even like, maybe it'll make it, it's gone, okay? <laughs> and I went outside yesterday and I smelled rain. And I got real excited. And I said, oh my gosh, I think it's about to rain. And sure enough, for about 10 minutes, it downpoured. And I knew, I was like, there's a rapid and sudden shift of season coming where we've been in this dry and parched land, but there's a shift coming. And when those rains start falling, they're gonna fall heavy, hard. And we're in a period of time. And this is the thing, this was the correction. We're not in a period of endurance. I thought we were. We're not in a period of endurance. We're in a period of preparation. So that's one thing. <laughs> the other thing is I want to give some handlebars, I guess, because as soon as we start talking about family and fathers and mothers, there are people in this room, people watching online. This is a sore subject. And there, there are legitimate hurts here where maybe you've pursued and saw and it just, you keep feeling like you're hitting a ro roadblock and you're struggling to find this thing, but you're, you're like, I wanna be part of family, but no one will family me, you know? And I understand that. I prayed for a long time. I want a spiritual mom and dad. And I, I wanna give you just a little insight from my journey. 
is I found myself really discouraged at the absence of spiritual family um, because I really didn't want family. I wanted proximity to people that I thought would validate me. So I, I didn't really want family. I wanted Michael Miller to like me. I didn't really want family. I wanted whoever was up here to know my name and come over to my house, <laughs> right? Okay, let's just get real. Like, this is not community. This is proximity, and they're different. We don't get to choose our family, yes. right? It says in the scripture, God himself places the lonely in family. If you'll be willing to receive the family before you, you'll be in family. But if you're waiting for the family that you want, you will never find it. So I have been fortunate enough now, after many, much travail (laughs) and weeping and gnashing of teeth, I found family. I have family. Yay, it's amazing. And they came out of nowhere and they pursued me and they they, um, endured a lot with me and they created space for me. And I'm so grateful. Um, but I just want to say that as a handlebar is that um, families here, it just may look, they may look different than what you anticipate, but they will be what you need. Amen. So it's 715. Uh, we want to end just in a time of blessing. There's power. Blessing is not just cheap words. It's not just um, like a nice sweet thing to say. Blessing is power. When we rise up and bless one another and bless um, each other, things are released. Stuff is breaking. There are things happening in the spirit that we can't um, even begin to fathom, not just momentarily, but things that we reap down the road. And so we want to end in a time um, of blessing where fathers and mothers, true men, is blessing us as younger men and women and vice versa. And so um, anything else before we go into blessing? Yeah, okay, good. I'll be quick, but I want to talk about the word comfort to those of you over 50. It becomes a really big word to us when we get older. We're looking for comfort in a lot of different ways. I, I thought of it when he talked about the Jesus people coming to church. That's going to make us really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what? But God is the one that is kind of, I'm, I'm just talking to myself. God is the one who comforts us. Get used to being uncomfortable with people that look different or sound different than you. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't do probably very well in, a, in an Egyptian Coptic Christian worship service tonight. It's really different. Yeah. You'd be uncomfortable. But God is our comforter. So I say especially to the, those of us that are older and we're, we're, we're listening to how many things can make us more comfortable. Okay, mm-hmm. now, who am I supposed to bless? <laughs> <laughs> All of us. Um, <laughs> no, if you are, um, if you are um, not necessarily just Gen Z, but if you are under the age of 30, would you stand up? And if you're comfortable, open your hands up. This is just a posture of letting go so you can hold on to. And um, we want to bless, we want to bless you. Uh, Lord, I present to you these young men and young women. Lord, I, I pray that those that have been wounded by fathers or mothers, Lord, find their total healing, even tonight, in you, O oh God. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray that fathers and mothers in this room will reach out to bless the, the many in this room that are fatherless, especially, Lord, those 
without fathers who need a father. Father, I pray, I pray that blessing on them that they will stumble into, run into, call, seek out specifically a mother and a father in the spirit and that they will be received with warmth and with joy and with open arms. And so I pray that blessing. And the other blessing, Lord, I would just pray over them is that the blessing of, that, that the apostle John wrote back, that they will remember that they have been forgiven forever, yes. that they are walking in righteousness and that no accusation can stick to them, Lord. Let it all bounce off and let them celebrate the joy that they're yours forever and ever. Yeah. And I want to bless you, children. <laughs> I want to bless you. I want to remind you that Jesus could have selected anyone to follow him. And he chose a ragtag group of boys who were anywhere from 14 to 20 who followed Jesus and filled by the Spirit set the world on fire. That in him, anything is possible. And in him, you have total belonging. You have unshakable purpose. You are full of power and purity. That the heart that is inside of your chest, he created. And every desire of it, he is able to satisfy. And I bless you, even before you lay your head in the pillow tonight, to apprehend and lay hold of the pleasures that God has over you the delight in his heart for you as your father. And that your belovedness to him says everything that you need to know about you to you and fills you with courage and power to stand and to pursue. In Jesus' name, I bless you. All right. Um, If you're over the age of 50, if you'd stand up. I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we honor you, moms and pops, for your faithfulness, for being faithful in season and out of season. You have faced loss, betrayal, heartache, sickness, confusion, transition, isolation perhaps and yet here you stand your heart's fixed on him and your history with him is something that we need we need to see God as you've seen him we need to hear your stories we need you to remind us of what he's like when we lose sight of it we need you to call us higher (laughs) when we're acting wonky we need you we want to bless you if you pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for this generation. Lord, I thank Thank you for these fathers and mothers. I ask that you would pour out even more wisdom, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that the wisdom that you're giving them is, is yourself. Jesus, that they know you. And I ask that you would help them, give them utterance to, to what it is they know about you. 
everything they know about you, would you release it to all the generations that are coming after Jesus? Would you release their mouth, Lord? Would, but any, any, any that, that are discouraged in the room with their sons or their daughters thinking, how can I reach them? How, do I, how could I even have a voice in their life? How could I even talk to them? It's like we, we speak a different language. Lord, I bless them wow. to know that they are fathers or mothers, that their authority has not been taken away from them, but the gospel has given you that authority wow. to preach the good news to preach the good news so I bless you just to go and preach the good news to the younger generation. Let them know how faithful he is. Let them know how beautiful he is, how good he's been to you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask, would you unseal their lips? Yes. Would you open their mouths, Jesus? And would your scripture, your word, your love, your anointing, Jesus, your spirit, Come forth through this generation, Lord. Yeah. Oh, let it not be missed. Yeah. Lord, any disconnect from this generation and, and, and the younger, Lord, we, we cancel it in Jesus' name and we declare unity, unity, unity. Yes. And I thank you that you're using these. Yeah. You're using this generation, the older generation, calling the younger yeah. to Jesus. Yeah, and I want to bless you. Not quite done. When he was saying about speaking the different languages, that resonated, I feel, um, especially if you have wayward children, like natural children. And it's like, man, I just don't know how to get in there. I don't know, how to, I don't know the words. I don't, we speak different languages. But the language of the Spirit knows no generation. The language of the Spirit is eternal. The language of Spirit is love. And so I want to bless you with the language of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit in your fathering and mothering, to be led by the Spirit in your conversations and phone calls, to be led by the Spirit around your tables. I bless you to see in this latter season of life a multiplication of all that you've already seen, a press down in proportion to all that you've seen that it would overflow in the lives of all that you invite. And I do ask you, Father, that as you can and as you do, that you would illuminate who and how. Lord, that for all those that are standing that are willing to receive sons and daughters, that by your spirit, you would pick them out and make them evident who it is and how they are to pursue those children, those young men and women. Yeah, I bless you. And lastly, 30 to 50. It's our turn. Stand up. Blessing sandwich. Blessing sandwich. <laughs> yeah, bless us. We need it. <laughs> yes, Lord, we bless the worker bees. <laughs> no. As Kevin, as Kevin proclaimed, I pray the same blessing, Lord, that that in this very busy time of life, of, of raising a family, of, of being in a job or many jobs, whatever, Lord, that you are right in the middle of that, Lord, that they bring you into every conversation, Lord, that they bring you into every situation, knowing that what you have for them is good, Lord. I pray that you tune their ears, 
better than ever to hear the Spirit of God, to direct them with these things that they're doing with children and families and work and uh, homes and recreation and all, Lord, because you're in the middle of all of us. So, Lord, give them the direction they need, but also, Lord, give them the comfort of the Holy Spirit yeah. as they do these very busy years of their lives. Just pray a blessing on them in Jesus' name. Yeah. God, Jesus, I thank you for this generation. I thank you that you've called them to be creative, mm -hmm. that you've called them to be in position to, to create how the world looks right now. So, wow. Lord, I thank wow. you wow. that you're pouring out the fear of the Lord. Yes. Lord, I bless them with the fear of the Lord. Lord, would you, would you magnify yourself, your grandeur, how beautiful you are, that you are Body creator, that you are in charge, that no matter what comparison might creep in or what thing might, might try to speak into it, that you have the spirit of God living in you. So we release you and bless you to be the ones on the earth saying so. Yeah. To be the ones on the earth moving and creating, establishing the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus, for, for these that are here for such a time as this, to be the big brothers and the big sisters calling forth, not shoving anyone down or, or forgetting about anyone but building systems and, and, and creative things in place for your kingship, yeah. for you to rule and reign on this earth, for heaven Thank to you. come. Thank you. So we bless you with the creativity of heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's be the family of faith, you know? Let's do it.